Yeah, she know what swing no. Spring. Uh, spring. Swing no, they're one for one. Oh, spring is one for one. Yeah, yeah so okay, we'll get three. Three. Okay, yeah. three, three spring rolls, yeah. Okay, yeah. Then uh, General Chow yeah, chicken. chicken. Yeah, chicken, yeah. Um, the... Kids and uh, yeah. Yeah, and stir-fried snow peas with garlic. Snow peas or silver leaf? Uh, peas. Peas. Okay, yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Hello. I'm meeting some people here. Is it okay if I wait? Yeah, I'm meeting everyone too. It's going to be fun. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 Just stay silent. <laughs> Have you been here with your parents yet? In Chinatown? Any, any, any? Yeah, my dad uh, kind of prefers the, the cheap ass. Once it's, yeah, this would be much too expensive for him. He likes uh, deals because yeah. he's typical uh, peasant Chinese. Um, so, yeah, what, so what's the, the hot spots for the deals? Uh, we usually go to either the food courts in the malls or he loves those because he can get like three items for four bucks. Mm -hmm. So that's his favorite. Or he goes to Goldstone or King Noodle. I think. Yeah. Yeah, because they're just the the cheap places where you just walk in and everything's loud and they have the pigs on a yeah. hook in the front. Yeah. He likes that. Yeah, he likes that. <laughs> uh, is it is it how does the food compare to the food in your in the restaurant? Oh, very different. Yeah. Um, what was that? What was that like? It was sort of Chinese and Canadian, or? Uh, it was both, but it's Chinese Canadian as well. Okay. Um, we had the typical stuff like uh, hamburgers and fries and hamburger steak um, because there would be a lot of small town people who would come in and uh, a lot of them are just there for their noon hour construction break yeah. um, and some of them just aren't really into Chinese food so that's why we had to kind of cater to them and also when big groups of people come in there's always kids who can't stand chi Chinese food. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even our Chinese food was just the typical stuff that you'd find in most of small-town Ontario and what was created basically when the Chinese first came here and had to start making their own businesses. Um, they just wanted to make food that was appetizing to the locals and not maybe as scary. Mm -hmm. They found a lot of the local cuisine was very sweet, so that's why they invented all that stuff like sweet and sour sauce, and that's kind of what we sold. A lot of deep fried things, sweet and sour sauce, uh, chop suey. Chicken balls. Chicken balls. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe this is obvious, but what is what would you say defines Chinese-Canadian versus... Um, what separates the two is probably the, the sweet and sour stuff, the chicken balls. Um, a lot more fried oil things. Um, there's definitely um, a lot more steamed stuff in the authentic Chinese, yeah. and a lot more use of organ <laughs> sort of things and eating of eyeballs and full fish, um, whereas everything is kind of masked in the Canadian version, like they're battered and fried. Would you, when your parents would cook at home, would they cook more tr traditional, or would you just, you pretty much ate at the restaurant? Both. If, yeah. it, if the restaurant was open, when I came home from school, basically I needed a snack right away, so I'd go in the freezer and just dump some chicken balls or chicken wings in the deep fryer. And even on weekends at lunch, my mom would make stuff from the restaurant. I'd basically sit there 
in front of the menu trying to figure out what I want to eat. Like, this was my chance to eat out in a way. So um, I always ordered from the menu. But at night, my parents would make, like, either steamed fish, steamed pork dishes, um, a lot of braised pork and beef with potatoes stews with black bean sauce. Um, My mom made a lot of Indian food because she's from actually from India but um, for the most part it was Indian and real Chinese food at night and in the daytime the menu deep fried deep fried deep fried goodness deep fried juicy chicken balls <laughs> so what about this this project do, do your are your parents interested in like do they get why you're interested in it what do they think no. about <laughs> uh, I don't think they've ever really understood why I cared so much. I started taking photographs of them, I don't know, not officially in the high school years, more importantly when I knew that they were selling the restaurant because that's when I started to panic and realized I didn't have much documented. Um, And any time I put my camera up, my dad would be like, why are you doing this? Why are you taking pictures of me? So uh, they just didn't understand why I was just standing around watching them. They thought I was wasting my time and that I should probably be head in books and (laughs) doing something important. Um, But I think I actually took a bunch of pictures of them and then wrote a little story and then just self-published it on some online program and I gave it to them and they really appreciated it then I think they wouldn't say it of course they're Chinese and they don't really they're not affectionate or they don't really commend you for anything but I I could tell in their eyes that they were proud I guess Mm -hmm. probably both of you and of themselves too yeah oh definitely Um, because I made note of the fact that they basically did this their entire lives in Canada. Um, and they started out from nothing. Like my dad, he was basically a slave when he was a kid. He didn't go to school past, I don't even know if he went to school. If he did, it was just like grade one. And then he was sold off as a slave um, by his dad to his uncle. And he just worked on a farm ever since then. And he had a rough life and he is basically was kind of kicked out of China um, during the communist times and he ended up working on a naval ship as just a marine boy I guess like the captain's hand second man um, and then um, thank you ooh, here we go that looks good <laughs> thanks so much thank you. all right um, I'll just mix that that was kind of well no, where so. should I start from no, just, yeah, I'm just curious also about like when when this happened, what time how they came about. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, after the naval ship. so yeah, my um, dad worked basically as the captain's assistant on the ship, and um, it just ended up somewhere near Quebec, and he basically jumped ship. You know, at the time when they're allowed to hang out for a break right. and like sure explore, leave. yeah, shore leave, etc. Uh, he basically didn't come back. And he just hopped on the Canadian Chinese, the Chinese Canadian restaurant circuit. So he found work as a cook. I don't know if he cooked that much um, at that time. And I don't think most men at the time, when they first started developing restaurants and back in the day, 
none of them knew how to cook. They just did it out of obligation and to make money. And I think that mm -hmm. was the case for my dad as well. Um, it was an easy in to work illegally in a way. Mm -hmm. You could find um, a lot of Chinese businesses and just talk to them and just say, yeah, you can get paid under the table. Here, we'll, we'll give you some money. And so he worked at a bunch of restaurants from Quebec and then down um, into the St. Catharines area yeah, where my yeah. mom had a business um, that she started with her okay, first yeah, husband. Okay. okay. Hi, sir. You got a phone? Oh. Yeah, one minute, okay? Yeah, it's it's do, you want, do you want to crunch into yeah. this? Yeah, should we yeah, let's crack in? All right. Seems as good a time as it's Let's see. Hello. Yeah. Chin, 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 chin. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so, every time you eat something deep fried now, does that bring you back to? It must because I eat a lot of deep fried food. <laughs> Seriously, I think that's my comfort food. Um, I have a serious thing for poutine, and I know that's not Chinese, but it's yeah, it is Canadian. But I would go home and just uh, put fries in the deep fryer all the time. And I do have cravings for like the, like the Mandarin style Chinese food, which is kind of mm -hmm. more Canadianized. Yeah. Um, okay. Ooh, yeah. thank you. So nice. What do we have here, guys? Mm. Brian. Oh, hot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry. This is the Cantonese chow mein, my childhood favorite. You get a bit of everything here: mm. fried noodle. Uh, you know, all all the kinds of meat. <laughs> Whatever true. seafood you got, yeah. right? I like the texture of the noodle in this dish. Yeah. I like the crunchiness. But then <laughs> the stuff that's been like under the pile and like soaked yeah. in the sauces, that's really soft. Oh my God. Right? That's and then beautiful. you have some crunchies yeah. and soft. And uh, the, the water chestnuts. Oh, I don't like those. I like those. I oh. like that. Oh. And the yourself. baby corn was yeah. always the favorite. Baby corn is like the perfect <laughs> yeah, that's kid fun. food. Like mm -hmm. anything like that's miniature. <laughs> it's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was many people food. Yeah. So um, I want to um, move on to the, the project itself. Thank you. This is the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Can we maybe use yeah. the natural pause? Yeah, mm -hmm. you can just keep it running even. Or... Yeah, let's just keep it running and you can here, go like this. Oh. Oh. That is some high tech business. I'm just getting a face full of steam. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> See, eating and, and taking audio, totally different from eating and video. <laughs> totally different. This one we couldn't do on video. <laughs> this was a, no. a, a video series. <laughs> you chose the right medium. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. What else did we order? Oh, General Tad. Mm -hmm. Again. Tried <laughs> and true. I wonder... There's a documentary on um, the search for General Toe. I was curious. Did you see it? Oh. Yeah, I was curious what your feelings are. Thank you. Have you? I haven't seen it. Um, we didn't have this, and I didn't hear of this until like no. 
no. I want to say like six years ago. Oh, I'd wow. never heard of General Tao. But, um, then I noticed when I came into the city, it was different. And I also noticed it was different on the West Coast. Like the things that are really popular there, like um, ginger beef is like, it's this crispy ginger beef. It's like all candied up and it's really good over there. And I'd never seen it here, but I see it being introduced here a lot more, but that was popular. And Maybe, do you think the food in West Coast Canada is slightly more on the authentic side because maybe there are more Asian people? Well, when, anyway. when you get to the typical, like the Chinese restaurants in Richmond, B.C. <laughs> I saw your eyes. <laughs> um, I think when you get to the typical Chinese restaurants um, that are geared towards other Chinese people, yes, it's going to be authentic. It's not going to be as good as in China, but... Um, it's still going to be more realistic and less sweet, but I'd say still the small towns and the the food court stuff will definitely have more of the sweet stuff. Do this? I will. Awesome. General Tao chicken. Um, do you think that that like timing? When would your your mom's restaurant have first opened? And like when uh, would your parents have met? And what, uh, what time are we talking then? They met probably in their early 70s when we. Or late 60s, early 70s. Nice. <clears throat> I don't want to get into... It's kind of a weird We're going to be fact-checking all of this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, yeah, it's we just that... Oh, we don't need to get into it. Oh, yeah, it's just that because my mom had an affair with my dad. So um, it's like, this adds like too much of a... There's still a personal, uh, personal stuff going on. I personally don't care, but it's just that it's adding it's just adding too much story to this. Like, well, we're gonna, why do we I'm just curious, to? like, where in the Canadian timeline we're talking right. about. And right. Then, like, so then. basically they came in the mid-60s, both of them at different times, and that was a time when Canada was actually one of the best countries to come in. They were really opening up their borders for um, immigrants. Um, and I know a lot of friends whose parents have come, not just Chinese, but other immigrant friends of parents who have come during that time. Um, it was definitely a time when Canada wanted more people. Mm -hmm. And it was past the time of the pet tax and oh, yeah, yeah. anti-Asiatic uh, sentiment and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Which would have been the war. Yeah, <clears throat> pre-war and up to the war pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Things started to calm down, I think, after that. Yeah, right. and I mean, there, I still believe that there was still some anti-Asian sentiment yeah, um, for a while. Like, even when I was, how old was I? I'd say I was about eight years old. We lived in the restaurant on the main street in our small town. And every Halloween, well, first of all, I would sometimes have to take the takeout orders. And I know that sounds silly for an eight-year-old kid to <laughs> write down orders, but... It's what they did. Like, whoever yeah. was available, we just wrote down the orders. But one time I answered the phone after hours. Well, not one time. This happened multiple times. Um, and kids would just go, ching chong, ching chong. It would be kids from my class. And I didn't know who it was. Like, there was no call display at that time. Yeah. Um, so I get that a lot. In the later years, after uh, Wayne's World came out, I got so many, um, can I order the cream of some young guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, but when I was eight, um, every Halloween, 
the bad kids in the town would wax all the businesses' windows. Um, and then I noticed one year when I was eight, they wrote chinks on there. Yeah, so. so maybe we should talk a little bit about that area. So yeah. your restaurant, where was it? Uh, what was that town like? And what were, the, what, were the, what were the feeling of the locals to you and your family? Right. Uh, there were, we actually had three restaurants when, sorry, I'll start again. Um, my parents actually owned three restaurants with me as a child. Um, they worked in other ones before, but they moved to this small town before I was born. Uh, one was called Asian Gardens, one was Canton Restaurant, and then the third was Sunshine Restaurant. Um, and Asian Gardens and Canton Restaurant were both on the main streets of this small town, and they were really busy. Um, they attracted a lot of the main street regulars who were working. It was their lunch hour. Um, even our dinners were really busy. There were about 60, I'd say about 60 seats in both of them. But it was a default ethnic food restaurant in the small town. And what was the town? Port Rowan. Yeah, it was a great town. It's uh, really small by the lake, um, Lake Erie. Yeah, and everyone looked out for me too. Like I, I know I mentioned before that there was a lot of teasing, and there was, but that's what kids do. Um, but in general, a lot of the older people looked out for me. Um, they knew I was the restaurant kid, so if I was biking around by myself, they'd tell me where I shouldn't go. <laughs> yeah. Are you picking that up? <laughs> Ooh, that's spicy in bed. Which the So, yeah, maybe we'll go back to the, the project itself. Mm -hmm. and and it's just Asia X Canada. This is a temporary working title. Um, and it's to explore the Asian Canadian mom and pop diners. Hopefully, I'm just going to start here in Ontario because I know it's a big task to do all of Canada and I don't have the funding or anything, but I know whenever I meet someone who's really interesting, I won't have any problems with going to wherever they are. The thing is, um, I initially wanted to start documenting restaurants like my parents, um, people from basically southern China, southeastern China, um, who opened up a lot of these Cantonese restaurants in small town Ontario, but I'm noticing that a lot of people of that era are retiring or have retired, um, and I've, I've been told, especially in the prairies, a lot of Koreans are kind of taking over those businesses. Um, I've documented some of my friends' um, parents' businesses, and they're not specifically from my area as well, from my parents' area as well. Um, they're from Taiwan and Vietnam. Still kind of the same sort of feeling in the restaurants, like um, the same sort of furniture, um, the catering to Canadian food, but also providing Asian food as well. Um, 
but I'm looking for more people who have these Cantonese-style restaurants in small-town Ontario, even if they are owned by Koreans now. Um, I am curious about how everything's changing. Um, where, what is your interest in Cantonese, and um, what do you think it is behind that trend of uh, the original like your parents like from southern China what, what is it about right now that they're all retiring is, it, is that um, is that a history piece or? um yeah well you know back then the Cantonese were were the poor people who were coming here and just trying to make a better life for their future children now anyone coming from China they have money um People from Hong Kong have money. Okay. Mainland China, uh, the mainlanders have money. They're sending their kids here with cars and um, paying for huge tuition rates and everything. And the the same character of Chinese people aren't coming here because they can't afford to or don't have the skills to come into this country now. That's one thing that you talked about on your site that parents, the people, Chinese of your parents' generation that came here, they were heavily entrepreneurial. Yeah. Whether it's a restaurant or any other sort of small business. Can you talk about why you think that that is or was? Um, well, I think there were some books written about this. Um, can't really cite them right now. One of them is called um, Sweet and Sour. I actually have one of my pictures in there. Um, he just did a study of all of the North American Chinese diners. And the reason why they had to be entrepreneurial is because there was a lot of racism at the time. Um, they were, the Chinese came to kind of help with the mine, mines and um, to build the railroads and everything. And when that was over, they really didn't know what to do. There was nothing to do here, but they wanted to stay here and make money and try to bring their families over here. But a lot of the locals weren't really accepting of them, and they didn't think that they deserved any jobs beyond being domestic helpers. Um, so basically women's roles. These were all men that were coming here. And so they all needed to eat, so that's why they decided to built up these restaurants and laun laundry, laundrettes, I guess, um, just because that's the services that these single men needed. And um, then the bolder people, the local people, would kind of edge their way into these places, realizing that there was like another world in these restaurants. And then they realized um, that there was a market in trying to prepare food for the locals as well. So it really started out as services for other Chinese. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And eventually sort of... Yeah, and it expanded. Yeah, from my knowledge, that's what happened. Um, and out of racism, like, just because they were shunned from everything else, so... And I know we, we've talked a lot about this, but we'll pretend that we haven't yet. But where, where does... Where did the inspiration for this project come from? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got some general talent. Yeah, yeah. Um, after I took my, um, I took a lot of photos of my parents um, at their restaurant before they retired because I thought it was really important to document something that I would never see again. That was a big part of my life. 
and I knew I wouldn't have that in anywhere else, so I wanted to make sure that I would remember it and that my family would remember it and my sister's children will remember it. Um, people end up enjoying those photos, and for some reason, even beyond um, me taking photos of them at the restaurant, people really enjoyed following where my parents were going for some reason, um, even though they didn't know them. And I feel it's so important to document history, not just mine, but everyone else's as well. People forget all the time. They, they lose their family members very quickly, and they forget things like their grandma's recipe for borscht or something, and no one has it. Or they don't even know that their grandfather fought in a certain war and all of his crazy war stories. And then you're just left with the whole family commiserating about the fact that they didn't really know their parents or grandparents. And I feel that that's a shame. And I also think that documentary is so important for the Canadian culture in a way because we're a country full of a lot of cultures. And I'm not here to document every single thing and not to prove that Canada's multicultural haven or anything like that, but I just want to show the pocket that I know and that I'm familiar with and that I think that it's a big story in my part of the world and I wish other people would do the same thing for whatever they've been raised with because we all have different cultures, right? And I think it should... I think there's a broader story in every small story. So you grew up working and living really in this in this restaurant. What was it like growing that way, living in a restaurant? Um, when I was a little kid, I thought it was fun because I got a lot of attention. I would be the one bringing out the fortune cookies, and everyone would say, "Oh, she's so cute." Um, and then. Anytime I invited my friends, they would be so excited because they knew they could get free food and we'd get to work the pop machines, you know, like make all these mixes of different pops and like get all the chocolate milk we wanted. Um, but then as I got older, I got forced into actual serving. Um, and this was as early as 13. Um, I hated that part because, first of all, you're a preteen, teenager trying to fit in in a small town and then you're forced to wait on some of your uh, fellow students and you're forced to wait on these uh, older adults that you just don't feel comfortable talking with and um, beyond that because we lived basically in the restaurant our accommodations were attached behind the kitchen all of our clothes and everything smelled like grease and I didn't realize it at the time but now I, in retrospect I realized that everyone was making fun of me because every time I walked into a room everyone would say oh my god it smells like french fries in here or and I I never understood it just kind of went over my head I thought huh I don't smell it <laughs> but, um, there was definitely it was definitely known that I worked in a restaurant and also kids if things were stale like I think we had stale fortune cookies one time and the next day I went to school and one of the kids just kept making fun of me and telling everyone that we sold stale fortune cookies and as a kid that's really embarrassing I don't want to be known as that family that immigrant family who's come in and then selling 
<laughs> expired food, basically. Because we had a lot to deal with anyway, because everyone thought we served dog and cat. <laughs> I remember one of my um, friends, actually, he came and he asked my mom, is it true that Chinese restaurants serve cats? And my mom's response, it was kind of funny, she said, don't be ridiculous, cats are so expensive. <laughs> like, out of all the things she could have said, like, she doesn't eat cat, like, we don't eat cat or dog at all, but... Um, she was thinking of it cost-wise. This doesn't make sense. Chicken's like way cheaper. <laughs> that wasn't even a joke. She was serious. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we were talking about how a lot of people, most people, I would say, have had at one point or another a fantasy of owning their own restaurant. <laughs> you know the reality being different. What, what is that reality? What is that? The hard part? There's no way in hell I would own a restaurant. Um, my parents are basically up at five, 5 in the morning, and I didn't see them stop working. Like, I went to sleep before they stopped working. I know I'd go to sleep and my dad would be up on the counter cleaning the exhaust fans and everything, preparing things for the next day. We never, I don't remember many vacations. We didn't take vacations. They worked seven days a week. The only day we took off, maybe twice a year, my parents would come to Toronto. One of those times would be to go to the CNE, the exhibition or Canada's Wonderland for me. Um, but there would always be a trip to Chinatown fit in there so that they could um, hoard all the Chinese dried goods they could. Um, but basically two days off a year, and even if they were sick, they'd work every day. Because um, there's no one else to cook. It was just my dad knew everything, my mom knew everything, and then we'd have the local servers and dishwashers. And sometimes they'd hire high school boys to do hamburgers and the french fries. <laughs> but my dad would be the only Chinese cook. So, uh, going back to the, the project now, uh, who, who are you talking to now? Where, where are these restaurants? Um, I I photographed this guy's um, parents. They have um, their Vietnamese couple that were retiring, and they had a diner for a long, long time at a major corner in the junction of Toronto. And I I offered to just photograph them just because it was retiring parents. I knew it would be important for him to have photos because that was his whole life as well. They were Vietnamese, so it was a bit of a different culture there, and they mainly sold Canadian food. Um, but he, the son has linked me to, um, I think some family friends, possibly from Hong Kong or Southern China as well, who have a restaurant in Belleville. So I'm hoping to go there in the summer. Um, there's another friend in Prescott, Ontario, which is near Ottawa. She said um, there's been a restaurant there ever as long as she's known it. I forget the name of it. Maybe it's Dragon Garden. And it's a go-to Chinese restaurant in Prescott. And she says the, the owners there are really uh, friendly 
and are really connected to the community, so I'm going to get in touch with them. And there's another woman in Montreal. I think she was a child of Chinese restaurant parents as well, but she contributed to the book Sweet and Sour, and the author had forwarded my name to her, and I got in touch with her. And she does want to help, so maybe she'll link me to some things in Quebec, possibly. Um, I also know um, another girl in Nova Scotia, I think New Glasgow, and apparently he has one of the oldest Chinese restaurants over there. So I'll, I'll see how feasible it is for me to actually get over there. Um, this is a long-term project. I'm not trying to conquer everything in one year and make this as an exhibit. I'm just trying to document things for history's sake, I guess, um, and just for my sake, just to see how things change over the years. If you're headed to Nova Scotia, there's, I was telling Brian earlier. Oh, you're from there. Yeah, I'm from Halifax, mm -hmm. and um, my mom tells stories of right beside her elementary school. They would walk by this place called Roby Food, just the simplest possible name in the world. <laughs> the street is called Roby, and it's just called Roby Food, and it's still there to this day, and you know, those terrible stories of, like, early perceptions of Chinese food of, like, dog and cat, like, just knowing that that was wrong, but mm -hmm. anyway, just the fact that it, it happens to this day, a good friend oh, yeah. in this city now, Chris Foster, had his, his birthday party there, just, like, five years away or something, and, and it's just, it's still a, a piece of that um, city so much in the north end. Is it still like a diner, an old school yeah, diner? Yeah, exactly. you got to look it up. It's it's really quite a stunner. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that cherry, sour, sweet and sour sauce for mm -hmm. your egg rolls. And yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. But, um, but yeah, I think that as soon as you mention that, everyone has a picture, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has that moment. Um, so that's very cool. Yeah, they're, they're in every small town. Um, it's kind of incredible. Like, it's usually the one minority family. Again, they may be Korean now at this point, but, um, or at any other culture, but um, at the one time, it, there was a lot of Cantonese families, one in each small town you went to. Um, and they went there because it was, there was no competition. They knew they'd be the only Chinese restaurant there, so it would be an easy in, in a way. It was a great business opportunity. And, I think it's just fascinating to see that, that you know, like it's important, it's on the highway. Well, we were, we were talking about that a little bit about the, the role of the Chinese Canadian restaurant in a small town and how that maybe was seen as that's the one exotic option, mm. and how maybe that's changing. Like, how, what, what do you see that role? What, what maybe was that role of the Chinese Canadian restaurant, and how do you see it changing? Hmm. Um, like the the role in the community, or like, I mean, I I guess it provided people the variety. Um, like if you were with a group of people, you were able to explore and have that fun ethnic food, or you could have the standards there. And I guess as a result, since it appealed to so many people, we became a community hub. There were a lot of regulars that we had, um, especially a lot of single old men would go because I guess back then fewer men cooked. So when their wives died or if they would just end up being a single bachelor all of their lives, they would just use the Chinese restaurant as their place to see the other single men. Um, and it was just a good meeting point. 
and share on holidays, like, yeah, with the single men. Yeah, yeah. Is there a place that's available? Yeah. Was that what you were trying to get at? I'm thinking about them now and where they're going. Do you see them surviving? Will there always be a place in the small town for the Chinese community around? I don't know, to tell you the truth. And I think that's why I was worried and why I initially wanted to start this project, because I can see the shift for sure, um, just with the different sorts of Asian people coming in. It's it's just everything is cyclical. Like back then, that was the cool ethnic food to have because there wasn't much around. Like even in the big cities, there wasn't much variety here that we have now in Toronto. Like you can get anything that you want here. And I think we're just so spoiled by variety. And with the internet, you realize what's out there. That I don't know. The I feel people are looking for more authenticity now. Um, they want the real experience. Like when when you talk to someone about, say, going to a Thai restaurant here in Toronto, and someone says, "Oh yeah, that place is really good," and you'll always get that person who will say. Yeah, but it's not like it was in Thailand, you know. It's not like the real street pad Thai. Like, this stuff is too sweet. Um, so you'll always get that sort of person out there. And that, like, affects a lot of people because when that person says that to you, you think, man, I am dumb. Like, I'm not worldly. So let's find this real, real authentic shit, right? And try to eat that. And so in a way it's like this kind of status sort of thing if you eat this sweet and sour stuff ironically it's cool like you're drunk and you're like yeah let's get some sweet and sour chicken oh yeah it's really awesome and everyone's into it but if you decide to gather a group of your 20 30 something friends in the city and said hey guys want to go for mandarin it's probably <laughs> probably not as cool of a thing to do unless you're being ironic so I think it's shifted in that way. Like, er. So I think people have become a little more adventurous and they, like hmm. you say, they want that open experience. Whereas when your parents were, were running these restaurants, like you said, you had to, you couldn't be too adventurous, you couldn't be too out there. It was so unknown. And now, like you say, it's people more. They would want that. The, the, well, give me that the steamed fish instead of the deep fried fish. Give me the, like you say, the, the the more kind of authentic style. So now when, now when you go to other people's restaurants and you're, um, you're you're taking your photos and you're, and you're speaking with them, do you, does that bring you back to your old restaurant and do you see yourself and your parents back there? What is what is that experience like when you're in someone else's place? I feel like I need to see more, but I do like being in the restaurant restaurant atmosphere. There's a buzz to it. Um, there's an energy. It's just nice to have people to come in. And I always, especially at these small places, you'll always see the regulars and the people like talking in a very small tone sort of way, um, even if it is in a city. So... Um, that I miss a lot. I miss the fact that you can just sit in a place, you're at work but you're not, and then people come in and people that you know come in and you can start chatting with them like like we're old friends and yeah. stuff. And, and that part I miss. Um, yeah, it does bring back a lot of stuff and maybe that's why I'm doing it. It's just this trying to connect to that 
area of my life. Hold on to it a Hold little bit. Hold on to it, yeah. It's like comfort food. Even, I know I'm comfortable there. I don't have any problems. Um, most of these places usually attract more of the blue-collar sort of clientele, and that's what I'm most comfortable with anyway. Um, like, I feel like those places, there's no judgment in a way. You, you go to a city um, venue, and I feel like everyone's there to be looked at. Or there's other there's other issues at play. Whereas blue collar, they're just going in there. Just they just want their meal. They just want their beer. And they just want to get out of there. So maybe you could. That's something that we didn't do. Is sort of paint the picture of of that that restaurant. Maybe the, we talked about the sunshine. Right? Like what what did that look like? What, were, what was the furniture? What was the kitchen look like? What was the feel of it? Um, the last one, um, sunshine restaurant was. Basically, the, let me see. Sorry. Um, my parents moved to Sunshine Restaurant when I was about 13. It used to be a Canadian diner um, on its own, but then they decided to build an addition to the back, which was our living quarters. Uh, so it was a very small, basically a roadhouse diner. I think there were 30 seats in it. Um, there were four booths, uh, two um, in the center, and then there was a smoking section, which wasn't really smoking, it wasn't really divided, it was just, there was like a wall um, of two tables there. Um, yeah, it was a really small place, I don't know what to say. <laughs> How else to describe this? I was just trying to. So yeah. I feel like we've got a, a good amount on the, on that restaurant. Yeah. So now, like I, I know one thing you mentioned was in setting up some of these interviews for this project. There are some roadblocks, and some of it being um, a lot of Asian people, Chinese people, especially, are a little guarded. Mm -hmm. And like your parents, like you said, your parents' reaction is why? Mm -hmm. Why do you even care? So can you talk a little bit about that and how you break through that a little? Mm -hmm. In all honesty, I think it would be easier if I spoke Cantonese, and that's one big regret I have. Um, I can understand basically what they're saying, but it's a very hard language to speak. So, And I'm very insecure in terms of speaking languages. I want to make sure that everything I say in one sentence is right before I open my mouth, and that doesn't work when you're trying to learn a language, right? So I've lost them already. At that point, I'm already a Canadian in their eyes. I'm not Chinese. Um, second of all, most of these people, the ones I'm looking for, are probably a bit older. Um, they don't have time to mess around. Um, if you're in a Chinatown, you'll just see it's just like they want the answer done. If you're just trying to stretch things out, they just they have no patience and they just want to move on to get results. Um, it's just very skeptical. I've had to do some photo shoots actually here in Chinatown for some businesses. And after I took three pictures, like I just snapped three shots, then they just get frustrated and say, go, go, that's enough. And that's how I feel that happens with a lot of Asian people, even um, unless they're like narcissistic or really proud of their place, no, um, are very social, then it's different. If they're just there to make money, you're kind of in the way. And 
I'm not, I, I'm trying to approach this as a word of mouth sort of thing in a way. Like it's just easier if I ask my friends who are from small towns and then can them have me connect to someone or at least give me a name so that I can drop a name and then they feel more familiar with me because it's, yeah, it's filled. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> I like that brown case. Brian's so I'm not very very good at that, but you are, and I because I've seen you do this sort of that fly on the wall event oh, where you sort right. of slip into the shadows and you people forget that you're yes. you're there. How did that? I mean, maybe your parents would be the the best people to practice that on. Is, it, is that where that would come from? And do you think that's a part of a skill of being this kind of photographer? Oh yeah, definitely. Because um, then they can. I'm trying to capture the moments where they're being themselves and operating the restaurant as they would, not trying to pose for me. Um, and I guess being raised in a restaurant did help more so the fact that my parents were really strict and mean <laughs> sometimes. So they didn't want me in the way at all. Like sometimes if. Um, as a kid, if I was getting too loud, they'd just scream at me and just tell me to get out of the way. And I had to be out of the way in the kitchen and just make sure I wasn't in their way or else my dad would just scream bloody murder in a way. So I, I learned pretty quickly to not be in the way. And second of all, I didn't like attention brought on to myself. I think because I was a minority at school, I got so much and it was so annoying that I tried to find so many ways to adapt and melt in the wallpaper and just be on the sidelines. It was just so much easier to do that and observe people that way than to actually be in the middle. And I'm not doing it for me, I'm doing it to document these people, right? So there's no point in me. So that was um, one thing that we were talking about, which is you're a photographer, but this is, you might call it an archival project. Uh, it's, it definitely has a documentary feel to it. Do you feel like, does this project make you feel more like a documentarian or a photographer? Oh, um, I've always considered myself a documentarian. I'd say I, I didn't actually want to be a photographer. Um, it was something that slipped, like just fell into my lap because what I bought a camera for was to document live music shows. Basically, it was like treasure hunting. I would go out three, four times a week, try to find some cool bands, and just take pictures of them and upload them. It, they weren't art, arty or anything. It was just the fact that I wanted these moments documented. And even when I went out with friends, I always had my camera with me, and it wasn't for art. Again, it was just to make sure that everyone remembered that this was a fun time. So I, I think the photography thing is just a tool. I would probably use any other medium. Like I would use audio if I had that equipment. Um, I would write about it. It's just making sure that people remember stories. I, I love stories. And what about the, the project? Do, when you think about the project, do you think it's more about food or family or perhaps something else? It's definitely about family. More than food, I'd say it's about 
family and how people adapt to their environment and vice versa. How basically the these small town restaurants have kind of shaped the small towns in a way as well, like being kind of a flagship restaurant in a way, which is strange for someone who comes from another country and then will come into these small towns and go, what, what's, why is there this one Chinese family here in every, every small town that we run into? I find that fascinating. What is this restaurant? We're in Taste of China. We're in Taste of China. Wow. <laughs> I'm tasting it. <laughs> it's we're, so tasty. It's so tasty. <laughs> it is tasty. And we're talking with Connie Sang. Yes. Documentarian. Documentarian. Thank you. Uh, and we're talking about her, her project, Asia, Asia X Canada. Mm -hmm. For some reason, that's hard for me to say. Yeah, I may change the name. Okay. <laughs> um, what, are you, what are you getting out of this? Um, it's... It's basically as someone who enjoys documenting things, it's just creating a timeline of the life as I see it, and but also connecting it to my past as well because I, I thought it was so important in my life. I'd like to maybe share that with the um, future offspring of the people who have the restaurants now. And that's what I was going to follow with the saying is like, who is, who is this really for? Is it obviously there is that sort of that posterity for future generations. Is it in a way for your parents, do you think? Or like you said before, they don't care anyway, or they're, they're <laughs> maybe you've hit on something. I don't know. Ryan. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I think, Canadian identity is big for me, and identity in general. I was confused as a kid, and I didn't know what I was. At home, I thought it was Chinese. Outside, I definitely wasn't, but I was. Like, on, on the outside, of my face definitely was Chinese. But I never felt like that. I was into all the pop culture things of Canada, and I never fit in that world. And then I was babysat by an American all the time, so I feel like I got some influences from him as well. And I, I guess it's just recording some sort of history that explains that we're all different in this country and that it's okay to be different and to have our own stories. And maybe it's also to encourage other people to make sure that they um, keep their stories intact as well, because it's so important. Because if we don't have those, then what is this? Like, you'll just see Canada as what the CBC is. And it's a great corporation and everything, but it's not everyone's story. Maybe that's a good place to finish off. I think so. Okay. Thank you, Thank you so much, Connie. <laughs> no problem. There's still more food to eat, though. I know, I know. More importantly, we need yeah, to eat exactly. right now, yeah. so I think we have to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but seriously, thank you very, very much. Okay. Thank All you, right. guys. Cheers. Yay. Yay.